I want you to join me this evening, if you would, in the book of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to do my best tonight to uh, be fairly, fairly brief. Uh, in other words, I'm not going to keep you all night long. I'm so thankful for this church, your response to the word of God, your hunger for truth. I know that uh, it's easy to take a lot of things for granted. But uh, if, you, if you preach in places that uh, are not hungry for the word, it's really hard to deliver something that they're not hungry for. You ever, you ever tried to feed a kid that's shaking their head no while you're holding a spoon to their mouth? It don't work. And so it doesn't matter how much study we do and how much we put into it. If you're not ready to receive the word, then it does us no good. And I thank you for your hunger for the word. I'm going to read one verse to you uh, so that you may be seated in Luke chapter 12 and verse 2. It is our focus 52 verse for this week. For those of you that are not following along, I would invite you uh, to follow along with us through the end of the year for the rest of the year in our focus 52 chapter every week. Luke 12 and verse 2. And uh, matter of fact, we can read it together if you would like to do that. Let's read Luke chapter 12 and verse number 2. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Let us say amen to the reading of the word of the Lord. Amen. amen. Greet somebody in Jesus' name and you may be seated. Praise God. This is... Uh, this is... One of the most powerful warnings, I think, that Jesus gave in his earthly ministry to his disciples. Uh, because the warning, it was, not, it was not just a warning. It was also, the rest of this chapter is filled with powerful wisdom and information on how we must live. I was in a, a meeting this week, uh, and in the meeting, I just made the statement that there's some things that, that I'd like to deal with, but it's very hard to go go to certain situations and say, I don't like this if you don't have a solution. And Jesus never really, uh, he never really approached his disciples by saying, this is not what you do if he didn't give them something to do. He gave them wisdom and direction and instruction. And that's the powerful thing about the word of God is that I know a lot of people look at, at living for God and they think it's about what, what you can't do. Well, you know, if if we live for God, then I have to stop doing this. I have to stop doing that. I can't, I, I can't enjoy this. I can't enjoy that. Until you realize the power of a relationship with God. As one writer said, it truly is joy unspeakable and full of glory. I have never, ever felt like it was a burden to be a child of God. I've never felt like it was a burden to be called out of darkness into marvelous light. I've never felt like it was a burden to lay my sin down and to take on his beauty in my life. What a trade. He gives us beauty for ashes. Come on, somebody. He'll take our mourning and turn it into dancing. He'll take our sorrow and turn it into joy. Does that feel like a burden to you tonight? To be able to lay your burdens down at his feet and for him to lift them up. But the Lord was giving a warning. And the scripture said at the very beginning of this chapter, in the meantime... When there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people insomuch that they trod upon one another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all. 
And this is a powerful warning that I would also give to the church today in the 21st century. Be aware of the leaven. Be aware of the leaven. Now, who was he dealing with? He was dealing with the Pharisees. And he identifies what the leaven is. Now, now we all know that leaven speaks of bread. Jesus is, is speaking to them in a language that they understand, which is amazing to me how all of this transpires in Scripture. He always speaks their language. That's why I spoke in parables. Uh, if, for instance, uh, Luke 15, the story of the prodigal. You've heard me preach through the years if you've been here. That the story of the prodigal was not a new story. That was as old as Abraham. Jesus spoke in their language. It was a story of the prodigal. And so Jesus is speaking to them in their language. And he spoke to them about leaven because it was a season when they were to have no leaven in the bread. And he says statements like this. He said, you know, it only takes a little bit of leaven. And what happens? The leaven's the whole lump. How do we preach that? It only takes a little bit of the world to leaven up the whole church. You got to guard yourself from what you let in. But he speaks specifically of the leaven of the Pharisees. He said, be aware of the leaven, which is hypocrisy. Now, this is, this is scary because uh, I, don't, I don't really have a lot of time to go into the way James broke it down for us. But it's powerful because we often talk about the sins of commission. We look at the world that, that we live in and we say, well, man, you, you can't live like that and be saved because of what you're doing. It's a, it's a difficult world. You know, we can start picking sins out. You can pick them out however you want to. People are addicted to uh, alcohol and they're addicted to pills and they're addicted to whatever. You, you can't serve God and be an addict because of what you're doing. James said something very interesting from his perspective. He said, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. So you've got the sin of commission, which is the act of doing. And then you've got the sin of omission, which is the sin of not doing. And Jesus said these Pharisees are hypocrites and it's leaven. He said, be careful of the leaven because it's going to leaven the whole lump. What was the lump? The lump is that the law in itself was so pure it came from the mouth of God. It was holy. It was something to give them direction. But it became a governmental power. It became political. It became a council of men that sat together and decided, well, this is what we think it means. And that's what we think it means. And he said, in doing this, it becomes hypocritical. It becomes something that uh, they want to say and talk about, but they don't want to do themselves. This is dangerous. It's a spirit that gets on people. It's easy to do. I, I will say this, and I can say it without a doubt, that uh, after, after being in full-time ministry for 25 years and uh, pastoring in this, uh, this city and, and, and working with pastors, great pastors like Bishop, uh, I, I can tell you this, the people that are the most critical are the least involved. They've always got something to say and add nothing to the pot. And this was the issue, is that people were trying to legislate righteousness and not add to righteousness. They were trying to legislate how you did righteous things. And if you messed up, then you're going to be in trouble. Well, give me Bible for that. Well, I'm so glad you asked because we want to stay in the word. So they bring this woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. And they bring him to the feet of Jesus. Who is it that brings him? Well, obviously it's, it's, uh, it's the Pharisees. They're bringing, it's the only, the only people in the Jewish sect 
that have uh, really, truly the power uh, to push the law thing. And they're testing Jesus to see what he does about it. And so they bring, and I know the story. We, we, we preach it and hear it and heard it in Sunday school. The story of the woman comes and Jesus says, Woman, where are thine accusers? Because he said, Let he that's without sin among you first cast a stone. Right? This is a powerful story. Jesus is saying to them, How can he be so sure? Because Jesus knows the law. Not only does he, not only does he know the laws, you, you know, you're, you're supposed to start learning the law at 12 and 13 years old as a young Jewish man. And Jesus at 12 years old was teaching the law. How can he do that? Because he's the author. It's not hard. He's the author. He wrote it. The Logos in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He wrote the word. He is the word. He's the living word. And so he's teaching. How was he so sure in that moment? And how does he know that they're hypocrites? Because he dealt with them every day. They bring this woman. And he says, all right, I'll make a deal with you. This is what they didn't like about him. Is that if you're going to understand the law, and then, then you've got to enforce the law, and you've got to live the law. And so he says to them, all right, if you don't have sin, then go ahead and throw it. Oh, that was prophetic because Jesus knew the hearts of every man and every woman that was standing there. There was nothing prophetic about it. He knew the law. And the law was being broken by the people holding stones. Because the law said that if someone is... Now, I'm not going to be graphic with this. Your Bible says that she was caught in the very... I don't have to say anything else. So we know if she's caught in the act that they know who the man was. The law said both parties have to be presented. But they didn't bring the man because he was probably one of their buddies. And they said, well, if we bring him, I mean, so, so here's what hypocrites do. They said, well... Let's get rid of her. Let's make her the problem, and we'll get rid of her, and then that'll free him. And that's it. Jesus is exposing this corrupt system of religion and this political, uh, this political system that has overtaken what's, what should be the purest law in the world, right? And he says, okay, well, if you don't have sin, then you can cast the stone. How's he sure? Because they're all breaking the law. This group got together and said, bro, you get out of here. You go home. You hide, whatever. We're going to go down here to Jesus. We're going to talk about this. Before the sun sets today, we're going to kill this woman. We're going to get rid of her. It's all going to be eradicated. Your name's going to be free. You have nothing to worry about. We're going to silence this woman, and nobody will ever know that you sinned. Jesus said, oh, no, this is a level playing field for everybody. You're not going to be a hypocrite and use the word of God to cover up your sin by putting somebody else under the bus. Now, I know they didn't have buses, so don't think I'm building a bus doctrine, okay? It's so funny. Man, you've got to preface everything anymore. People take everything literal, you say. Wheels on the bus go bloop, bloop in my life most of the time. He was like, look, I don't have to wonder if there's sin in their life. Because the people that are holding the stones are the ones that's wanting to get rid of her. And here's the sad thing. Murder's not the biggest sin that's at risk here. They're liars and hypocrites. They are hypocrites that are saying, as long as we can silence the other party, then we can do whatever we want to do. And oh, does that spirit still exist? 
it exists in a major fashion. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time here tonight. I, I, I don't want to give this a whole lot of life, but if you'll bear with me, I, I want to show you how the Spirit works and functions in the society that we live in today, specifically in the church. So people get, uh, it's amazing, they get new revelation. I think that's, I think that's quite interesting, honestly, uh, that the Lord has waited until the 21st century to give fresh revelation to specific people. I find it amazing that this has worked for 2,000 years. And the laws of God have worked for 6,000 years. And somebody's going to come along and say, God spoke to me. We don't have to do that anymore. Okay? It's amazing. You don't have to be holy anymore. You don't have to be separate anymore. You don't have to, none of that is necessary. All the things that you were taught as a child... It's all wrong. You don't have to be holy and righteous anymore. I don't care what my father or, or, or the previous pastor or whoever preached. God spoke to me. Well, bippity-boppity-boo. That's amazing. And the liberties that they feel are extravagant. But here's what happens. They start feeling their liberties. And they start teaching whatever they want to teach. Okay, now... I'm just going to kind of lay this out here as gently as I can. If you're so sure that God spoke to you and you're okay, then why do you have to go killing people that still want to believe what we believe is truth? Why do, why do you have to cut everybody down that still wants to live holy and separate? Listen, if we're all small-minded Pentecostals, and we're, we're stuck in a different decade. And God doesn't require that anymore. Then just leave us alone. Because we're not going to reach the world. But if you are intimidated by the power. That's in the true church of the living God. It's, it incriminates you. And you start trying to cut it down. And you say, well, you know what? Those people, they're judgmental. And they're small-minded. Let me tell you how small-minded it is. We got 11 nations left. And we'll have apostolic missionaries in every country of the world. That's how small-minded we are. We're going into all the world and preaching the gospel. That, that. Say how small-minded we are. We live in a world that wants us to hate one another. We do. It's unbelievable. They want us to hate each other. They want us to hate each other in the color of our skin, our religious ideas, our political ideas. They want to place it. Let me tell you how small-minded we are. We are so small-minded to say it was to the Jew first and then the Greek and that this gospel will be preached in every nation. We are small-minded enough to believe that whether you are white or you're black or you're Hispanic or you're Asian, it really doesn't matter. Scandinavian, we don't care where you are, where you're from, what color your skin is. We don't care what your lineage is. We don't care who your grandfather is. We don't care if your mama was a drug dealer and your daddy was an alcoholic. Here's what I want you to know. We're so small-minded to believe that Calvary is either powerful enough for all of us or it's not powerful enough for any of us. 
You don't get to come in the kingdom because you're white or you're rich or, or because you're a certain status or, or your family own a bit. Oh, no, no. You come in because you realize you're a sinner and he's the only hope that you've got. You come in because you were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. That's why we go. That's why we give because we're small-minded. That's why missionaries leave everything they have, sell their homes, sell their furniture, sell their cars, sell everything, pack up and get on an airplane, move overseas, start all over again to preach to people that can't even speak their language. That's why they spend four years going to language school so they can, they can sound like they're jacked up when they talk. I, I'm not going to tell you where it happened, but I was, I was in, a, in a country preaching and uh, there was an American that had moved there to be a missionary. And there was a, a native pastor there, and I th- I thought the American missionary did good. I mean, his 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 language sounded fluent to me. It sounded good. I mean, I can't hardly speak English, so uh, I thought it sounded good, Brother Snow. I I was impressed. You know, everywhere we'd go, he would he would order and he would talk to people and and he would speak. So I asked the native pastor. I was like. Man, it seems like, you know, he's been here a long time. He's, he's, I said, is his, and I, I said the language, I said, is, is his language good? He goes, no. <laughs> no. No, it's, it's not very good. He said, it's, it's not very good. Why, why would we do that? It's because we're small-minded enough to believe that Jesus loves everybody. And, and, and that's my point. That's how the hypocritical spirit works. We want to we we kill the things that are pushing against us, that are intimidating us. And do you know this goes all the way back to creation? Listen, Abel was not Cain's problem. Cain was Cain's problem. A- a- am I helping you yet? Cain says, well, you didn't receive my offering. And I'm mad about it. So I'm going to kill my brother. Why, why kill my brother? Because he received his offering. And this is the hypocritical spirit that gets on us. If God's not going to receive my life, then I'm going to kill the people that he receives. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to stay and fast forward here to get where I'm going. If, if you read the book of Jude, very short book. He said, woe to them. That have gone after that. He goes into the era of Balaam. And then he says this. After the way of Cain. Okay. What is the way of Cain? It's a hypocritical way. The way of Cain is this. That I would rather kill my brother. Than submit. And bring sacrifice God's way. And the Lord said through Jude. He said this is happening in the church. Now, when Jesus is talking about this, he's talking about the Pharisees in the chapter that we read tonight. He's talking about the Pharisees. But could you imagine if they would have let him massage this hardness out of their hearts and this hypocritical spirit out of their hearts? How large the crowd could have been instead of 120? Have you ever thought, just, just curious, uh, if, if Jesus, you know, I've, I've had times in my ministry where I get frustrated and I hope that's allowed. You pinch me, it hurt. 
kick me, I, I scream. You prick me, I bleed. I'm a, I'm a human being. I get, I get frustrated. And I've made statements like this before. I've said, I, I promise if Jesus Christ himself would have preached it, they wouldn't have got it. If Jesus Christ himself would have preached it, they wouldn't have got it. You probably never did that, did you, Brother Snow? It's <laughs> perfect pastor. These guys make me sick. And one day, the Lord, the Lord showed me. He said, son, you're right. You're absolutely right. Now listen to this. He has been crucified. He has been buried. He's been resurrected. And for 40 days, he shows himself with many, what kind of proofs? Infallible proofs. In other words, there's no doubt it was him. He was powerful. It was amazing. He walks through a wall and sits down and eats fish with them. Some pretty infallible proofs. I don't understand the dual nature of Christ. Well, let me just explain it to you like this. He's God enough to walk through the wall and man enough to sit down and eat fish. Come on, somebody. So he, he, he's, he's been crucified. He's been buried. He's been resurrected. And he's walked among for 40 days with many infallible proofs. You know, after the Emmaus road, when he opened their understanding to understand the scriptures, and they saw who he was, and they said, oh, yeah, we knew, we, we knew there was something special. We burned in our hearts as you began to talk. And then they follow him. This mass follows him. He looks different. He's glorified. He's in this powerful body now, been glorified. And, and, and he's shining like the sun. And he's up on top of this mountain. And he says to them, go tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And the scripture says there was about 500. And we love the day of Pentecost. But when you start reading the book of Acts, the opening of the church, there's 120 of them. Because 380 lost their inspiration from the resurrected one. If Jesus Christ himself preached it. And it happened. 380 people that depended on inspiration fell off the cart. So I want you to understand when I say this. You really can't preach or teach good enough to take care of hypocrites. Oh boy. There's not a sermon in the world that's good enough to fix a hypocrite. You just can't do it. But I will tell you how to deal with a hypocrite. I'm going to tell them. My mom's just going to tell them how Papa said to deal with it. Breakfast one morning, more than likely at Hardy's at 8 o'clock on 53rd Street. Stupid Dollar General moved in there. That's where he had breakfast for 100 years every morning, 8 o'clock. Somebody came up to him one morning and said, Brother Bingham, I'd love to come to church. I just can't do it with all them hypocrites. At which point, Brother Bingham responded and said, one more won't hurt. Come on, join us. <laughs> preach elder preach the word of God hallelujah I'm ready to take laps around Hardy's come on somebody what do you do with hypocrites how do you deal with hypocrites I'm going to tell you how you deal with hypocrites you let God deal with hypocrites and you keep on having revival and you keep on having church. Yeah, but, hey, I, I don't know what to think about them, Pastor. I, I, I think they're hypocrites. Well, I might agree with you. 
But what good does it do me to agree with you when Jesus said it like this? He said, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. What was he saying? He said, I want you to continue in what I've told you. Don't get distracted by the hypocrites. Pentecost is coming. The church is coming. Revival is coming. There will always be hypocrites. How does he deal with it? He said, therefore, whatever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which you have spoken in the ear in... Oh, my... I wonder, I wonder what would happen if folks would really just start taking the scripture literal right here. The things that you've said when you said, but don't tell nobody else. I don't know what you got burning at home, but somebody better go home and check that crock pot just to get a good excuse to get out of here right now. He said, whatever you're saying, listen, I'm saying to you, he knows what you're saying when you walk out of the church and you get in your car and you start cutting down somebody in the house. He knows, he knows every word you've said. And he said, every word that you've spoken in the closet, he said, it's coming out on the housetops. Coming out. It's going to be spoken. What you've been saying is coming out. Now. This is how you're going to deal with it. But Jesus, they have power. They have authority. They're scary people. I mean, these, are the, these people right here, we've, we've watched them. I mean, they've, they've, they've killed people. They've stoned people. they got power. Let's go to the next verse. He said, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. He said, but after that, there's nothing else they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed you. What's it say? He hath power to cast you into hell. I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them. Come on, somebody. I don't even have to preach that. That's so good. Not one of them is forgotten. Not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. For ye are more value than many sparrows. And I say unto you, here it comes. Put your big boy britches on. I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Verse 9, but he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Don't you let the fear of this present world and the pressure of these political Pharisees keep you from proclaiming my name. Don't do it. He said, because when you get ashamed of me, 
you need to know that I'm going to be ashamed of you. What difference does it make? What difference does it make if, if, if I'm denied before the angels? And I wish so bad that we could do a, a, a long Bible study on this tonight, but I'm going to have to keep it short just to get you where I'm going. The heavenly angels, which God is God, there's no reason that he needs a counsel, but he does have a counsel. It's all through the scripture. Matter of fact, probably the most famous place you read it, it's in the book of Job. God is counseling with the Elohim, which are the angelic beings. He is counseling with them, the angels of God. They're in different ranks, and, and we don't have time to go into all the ranks, but the angels of God are in different ranks. And he has angels that come to and fro from the earth, and they do his bidding in the earth. And uh, they, are, they, are, they are made in his image, just like you and I are, which Genesis 126 is, let us make man in our image. He wasn't speaking to the second and third person. He was speaking to the imagers that were already in his image and said, we're going to make now, now, what is this, where is this established? It's all in the scripture. Jesus said it in prayer. As it is in heaven, so is it in earth. In heaven, he has imagers that are angels. In the earth, he has imagers that are men, created in the image of God. That doesn't mean that we look just like him in a mirror. It means that we are reflectors of his image in the earth. They are reflectors of his image in the heavens. We are reflectors of his image in the earth. These angels are ministering spirits unto us. And when we pray... I'm going to give you a scriptural reference for this. Whenever there are holy things God is trying to do transpiring in the earth, there are very few people that ever get to see it like Jacob got to see it. But he laid his head down on a pillow, and the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw angels ascending and descending. What are they doing? He said, whew, this is none other than the house of the Lord. These angels are descending into the earth, and they hear what we're saying. They hear our prayers, and they travel from the earth to the throne room of God, and from the throne room of God to the earth. There are angels in here right now. There are ministering spirits in here right now. There are angels all around this room right now, and they're watching and waiting our response. And angels don't do well with hypocrites. Give me Bible. Okay, I'll give you Bible. It happens all the time. These angels, the way that they minister. But one particular one that I really love is in Revelation when John is in the spirit on the Lord's day and he's caught up. Man, this dude is deep in the spirit. He's seeing seven heads and ten horns and seven trumpets and seven vials. He's seeing all this crazy stuff. And the scripture said I, he was in the spirit. It was on the Lord's day. And here he is caught up in the third dimension seeing New Jerusalem come down. He said, and all of a sudden I saw this beautiful woman come riding up. Oh, man, was she forever more beautiful. Babylon came up riding on a horse. And she had a chalice in her hand. She was drunk on the blood of the saints. And he said, when I looked at her, I looked at her with great admiration. Pastor, what's this have to do with angels? Oh, he said, John, you can't be in the spirit and staring at Babylon. And this angel comes down and smites him and says, what are you doing looking at her with admiration? Because angels don't do well with hypocrites. John, look up here, son. New Jerusalem's coming down. I'm going to talk to you. I've got a message for the seven churches. I want you to write this down. Oh, my goodness. Remember what pastor said a few minutes ago, if Jesus Christ himself said it? 
Here he is in the spirit on the Lord's day at the end of his life on Patmos, been bold and old. God's brought him through. He's hearing this voice. I'm the beginning, the ending, the alpha, the omega, the one which was and is and is to come, the almighty. He's hearing the voice of Jesus Christ himself echoing across the rocks of Patmos. And here she comes. Put up, put up, put up, put up. <gasps> She's so beautiful. And the angel says. Back up here. I'm not here to represent Babylon. I'm here to represent the one that's been talking to you that shines like the sun. Don't get distracted by the hypocrites that are drunk on the blood of the saints, John. Don't you dare get distracted. I'm talking to you about the end time. I'm talking to you about the rapture. I'm talking to you about the seven seals. And if you miss one, the whole timeline's going to be off. John, watch me. And the angel of the Lord's getting his attention. He said, if you deny me in front of men, I'll deny you in front of angels. What's that mean? It means the angels are hearing what we're saying. And we're frustrating angels when we come to services like this and say, God, I believe you can. I believe you will. Lord, I know you can deliver my son. I know you can deliver my daughter. I know you can heal my marriage. I know you can. And then you get in the car and you say, I don't believe that idiot will ever be saved. The angel goes, well, well, Lord, their faith was high a few minutes ago while everybody was together on Sunday night service. But now that they've gotten the car, they're not really sure you can do what they said they could. And the Lord says, well, I'll just wait then. These angels are moving and they're working from heaven to earth. They're moving and they're working. And they are messengers from heaven that are coming to us and helping us. And, and, and bringing deliverance. Angel, God, God's the only one who brings deliverance. Okay, go read Acts 12. That angel came walking in that prison through two wards and an iron gate. <laughs> Reached down, picked him, smote him, said, Hey, get up, Peter. We're getting out of here. And walks him out. The angel walked him out into the street, held his hand till he got in the street, and then he left. Why? Because the angel's not going to tell him where to go. The angel just got him out of the business. He went back to the house of God where they're praying. But I'm not sending any angels to you, Peter. You need to understand that. You're going to keep yourself locked up in prison if you start denying me. When they put you in chains and they lock you up and they put you in prison and you start getting weak kneed and saying, I don't really like prison. So I guess now would be a good time for me to say, I didn't really believe what I preached. Listen to what pastor's telling you. Jesus gave them this prophetic sign. He said, don't fear them that can kill you. He said, fear the one that can send you to hell after you're dead and gone. He said, the, the life after this one is the one you got to worry about. And Peter, I'm going to need you to keep the faith. Because if you start denying me every time they try to throw you in prison and you start changing your mind, I'm not sending any angels to you. You're going to die in prison. And you're, you're, you're going to die a hypocrite because you told everybody else to live the life. But now that the pressure's on, you can't handle the pressure. So I'm going to deny you in front of the angels. Now, I don't know how you feel about it tonight, and I'm quickly coming to a close. But I believe that if the Lord withholds his coming for very much longer, I believe that we could see some things that, uh, let's just say like this, we could probably use some angelic intervention. <laughs> Come on, somebody. 
And I don't want to be so weak right now. I told the Lord in prayer today. I said, God, we got to get these countries open so we can work while it's day. We, we got we to get these mission fields open. We got to start get all this junk out of the way. Let's just get all this over with. Get it out of the way. Start opening this up. Get all these people moved out of the way. Let's go have revival in the earth. We got to work while it's yet day. I said, God, help us get it open. Because I'm going to tell you all something right now. It is prime time for revival. It is prime time for revival. It is time for us to have a breakthrough. It's time for us to see it. I believe we're about to see a global kickoff like we have never seen before. And that's why we're being fought so hard the way we are. And I told the Lord today, I said, Lord, through your help, the iron curtain of communism was broken in the former Soviet Union. And you can break it right now on the earth. It's trying to rear its ugly head again. And communism hates the body of Christ. It's all over the world right now. They're trying to keep it. Communism coming everywhere, all over the world. I said, God, if you broke the back of the Soviet Union and brought down that iron curtain, you can bring it down right now. What are you saying, Pastor? We need some angelic intervention. We need some angels that are going places and kicking doors open and setting captives free we gotta have it and I don't want to deny him let's stand together I honestly I I, I could preach for a long time tonight but I'm I'm telling you listen listen to pastor I don't want to be a broken record but we gotta recognize our dependence on the supernatural that's when apostolic restoration begins in the body is when we recognize the need for the supernatural and we're going to have to pray big prayers knowing that if, if it's going to be answered, it's not going to be because we go get it. It's going to be because we've been bold and we've been strong and we've been courageous and we stood up when we could have sat down. Come on now. We kept on believing when the pressure was great and we're praying great big prayers. I know y'all may not believe this when I tell you, but I'm going to tell you how I believe angels work. I believe. I've seen it in my life. I believe that God can send angels. Man, I feel strong presence in here right now. It's crazy when you start talking about it. I believe God can send angels, Bishop, to come down into offices and take this paper that's going to be read next and move it over here and take the one that God wants him to read and let a visa through. Put it right there in front of them. And when they walk in the room, they go, I don't know where the other one went. But I guess I'll work on this. I'm going to tell you what I believe God does. I've watched God send angels to people in airports, smuggling Bibles. And they walk right through the airport, go right through security, and they said, nobody ever even looked at me. Nobody, nobody ever even looked at my bags. No, no. Well, it's just a coincidence, Pastor, because it was a busy day. Go ahead and believe that. Y- y'all just go ahead and believe that. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe they that are for us, they that are with us, are more than they that be with them. And we're going to fight some things, but we're not going to deny the Lord in the process. And we're not going to be denied with the angels. The supernatural is going to begin to to work in the apostolic church. And we're going to stop being afraid to be apostolic and talk about it and speak about it and tell the world about it. And let the world know that Jesus is coming and we got a short time to get it done. How many of you want to get busy? So what do we do with the hypocrites, Pastor? We keep on going and we keep on having church and let the hypocrite be a hypocrite and you be faithful. Wheat and chaff. It's wheat and chaff. It's wheat and chaff. It's a tear in the wheat. 
Let it happen. Jesus said, don't get distracted by it. I'll take care of this. Church family, be encouraged tonight. There ain't going to be no hypocrites in heaven. There ain't going to be no hypocrites in heaven. But I plan on making it. Come on, somebody. Praise God. I plan on making it. Amen. Let's pray together. Master, we honor your great name. We praise you according to your excellent greatness, according to your mighty acts. Lord, we have praised you tonight on instruments. We have praised you tonight on loud-sounding cymbals with our voices. Lord, we have blessed you. Your word has gone forth. You have spoken to the body. I pray tonight, Lord, that your word would come to life in us. Let us present to you good soil for the good seed of the word of God.